doesn't always play nice. The job fizzles, the kids are bouncing off the walls, the cat dies. You start thinking to yourself, hey God, this isn't what I signed up for. Freeway is a small group study that helps us share our not so perfect stories. And whether our struggles could fill up the entire Pacific Ocean or just a tiny teacup, it's time to find hope in tough times. Freeway takes us through six life-changing steps. Step one, we'll learn how to escape the rat race and hear God's voice. Step two, we'll confront that 800-pound bully called fear and his ugly twin brother called insecurity. In step three, we'll stop being people pleasers and take ownership of our life. In step four, we'll earn a PhD in the art and science of forgiving people, including ourselves. In step five, we'll learn how God wants to throw a party for one of his favorite people in the universe. Hint, that person's name starts with Y and ends with O-U. And finally, step six, you'll discover your purpose and how you're rescued to become a rescuer. So what do you need to do Freeway? First, you'll need the amazing Freeway workbook. Secondly, you'll need a group, two, four, or 10 people. Size doesn't matter. Together, you'll share, laugh, and discover that our not-so-perfect stories are a lot alike. So you might be wondering, do I have to be a Bible Einstein to lead a freeway group? Heck no. You just have to organize some group details, ask a few questions, and boom, you're ready to rock it. From New York to LA, from Sydney, Australia to London, England. Tens of thousands of people just like you have gone through Freeway, and now it's your turn. Freeway, a not-so-perfect guide to freedom. Good having you all here today. I, I want to call your attention to the book that we're going to be using. Um, we rarely do this kind of a, a, a packaged set here at the church. It's been a handful of years since we walked through something to this effect. And I really felt that as a church, it's been awesome that we've been seeing increase um, growth numerically. But who cares if you grow with a lot of folk if you don't go deeper? Amen. And so as a church, I want to see us go deeper in discipleship and in development and growth. And I don't know about you, my wife needs freed up from some stuff. No, no, I, I need freed up from stuff. Amen? And I'm elbow somebody with you. Say, you need to get free. Just the way how lousy you did that tells me the freedom you need, okay? So you need to get free, all of us. And there's things in our life. And, and I love it. It's a not-so-perfect guide. Why? Because we're not-so-perfect people. We're not going to get this figured out just so-so right off the bat. But together, we're going to go through this journey. And so next Sunday, I'll be preaching the first talk in this series. And then that afternoon, right as soon as that service is over in both the morning services, you have an opportunity to go out and to connect and to be sure you're linked up with some people to go through this together. Now, obviously, if you come on Sunday mornings, you're going to get something. Amen? You're, I'm, I'm preaching. I said you're going to get something. Golly, I hope. No. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, you're going to get something more if you do this in community. And so we have four opportunities for you to do this in community. All your journey group leaders have gotten on board with this. And our small groups that we have right now, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be calling them freedom groups instead of journey groups because you're on this trek.
week of freedom. And our journey group leaders have all embraced this. And so they're going to be leading their current groups in that. And you may want to be a part of one of those current groups. Out at the information table, there's a sign-up sheet. You can write down the name of the group you're a part of when you get your book, okay? Also, it may be one of those things to where you say, Ross, I'd like to start a group. We'll do that. Grab two other friends or four other friends and start a micro group, a smaller group. And all you have to do is go out the table. There's a sign-up sheet for that. And the people that you're going to start with, they'll put their names there with you. And you guys go get that set up when you get your book. Maybe others of you, you'll say, I have no clue. Just put me somewhere. You know, there's a sign-up sheet out there for that. Put your name on that one, and we'll, we'll place you, okay? And then the final one, I'm going to do one here on Sunday nights at 5.30 to, to about 6.45, 7 o'clock. Um, for those that, you may just be like, I want to be in a group, but groups are weird for me. I just don't know. I'm telling you right now, the groups are the best place to be, period. But we're going to do an offer one at 5.30 here um, in the sanctuary with myself, and we'll get started. Most likely there will be too many people, and we'll, we'll break into groups throughout, so we'll have facilitators and such. But we want to invite you guys to sign up for that if that's something that sounds like, hey, I would go to that, okay? Now, that one, we don't have child care, okay? Just because it's at the church that night, we're not offering child care. So there are groups with child care. Find those ones, and if you need child care, they, they'll accommodate that. This one here on Sunday nights, there's already a ton of kids running around this building with youth, and so there's no child care that night, okay? But still, sign up. And the other thing is, the book is $15. It's a workbook, okay? And so it'll walk you through each week as we go through it. Um, I'll teach on Sunday. When you get together with your group, there's about a six-minute video, a real short video. And then the rest is discussion. And then through the week, there's things you'll go through in your book. And, and man, it's going to be seven weeks of discipleship, development, and growth as we walk toward freedom. Amen? Amen. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, um, this morning. Let's open up over to um, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And how many last week, I've already listened to the podcast. I know how good it was. How many enjoyed Ter Sister Teresa Rolls preaching last week? Oh, my goodness. So if you're a guest with us, the, the woman that was leading worship today, she's one of our missionaries that we support. And she has a mission in the city of Atlanta, reaching senior adults in Section 8 housing, that they have moved them from the projects into high-rises, and nobody goes in to minister to these people. And Teresa does, and we support him. You because you, we support her. You because you give in your tithes and offerings. We support her. And, uh, man, she blessed our socks off last week. I listened to that sermon. I laughed when you said, I heard it. She said, she said, well, great. Pastor Ross invites me to preach when he takes half the church with him. And um, last week, I understand attendance was pretty low, kind of like it is this week with, um, spring, with the break still going on. And, um, but we had the churches that launched last week. Let me just give you a quick report on that. Man, six churches launched last Sunday that we were a part of helping all throughout Atlanta. And um, we had 85 people come to salvation in one of those six churches last weekend. Isn't that awesome? Um, almost 7,000 people had a point of contact with them where groceries were given to them. They were talked to and prayed with. Um, had nearly 1,000, just shy of 1,000 people in attendance at one of those places that we launched the churches, those six places. One place actually had over 400 people on their launch Sunday. Isn't that crazy? That was amazing. And so I want you guys just to give Jesus a big, huge round of applause. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So that was probably the best part of my week last week until I had coffee with Jim. Where is Jim? Is he here? There he is. Jim Francis. And when I had coffee with Jim Francis, that probably became 
as much, as good a part of my week as um, that Sunday was. And um, it was great coffee. <laughs> no, it was great fellowship. And, and as Jim and I were talking, it really ties into this series. We're closing our series today called Making Room. And as we were talking, he takes me back to 1975, you know. And in 1975, he had a little boy, and he sent Mark, his little boy, and his wife off to church on an Easter Sunday. And listen to me, Easter Sunday, he said, was so important to him. He loved church. They were a very faithful church-going family and loved church. And Easter would be a highlight of his, of his year, and he's just excited. But this year, he was at a place in his spirit where he just didn't even want to be there. Have you ever been there before? Oh, yeah. And so what happens is he sends his wife and his child, and they go on to church. And he says, Ross, I started in the living room that day while they're at church walking. And I'm pacing the living room. And I'm saying to God, God, if this is all church is, if this is all that walking after you looks like, if this is what the expectation is for me week in and week out, I'm out. I'm done. Have you ever felt that way about your Christian walk? Be honest. Your spiritual walk? Have you ever felt that way about church? Even if you go to a good church. If you're a guest with us today and you, you have, you've been to a great church. I'm, we're a good church, you know. But, but, but that's not where it's at, is it? No, no. And for him, he realized that Easter, I need something more. And he walked, and he walked that living room. And he said, God, if there's something more, I want it. Touch me. Do what you want to do in my life. And listen to me, people. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon Jim, and as Jim was telling me the story, you could see and sense the presence of God. I start weeping. I'm like, I got tears in my coffee. I mean, it was powerful. He's telling me, and he's, the power of God put him down upon his knees and upon his face, and for hours, he's just seeking the presence of God as God's touching him, and listen, here's what was happening. God was anointing him and filling him with the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, baptizing him with a, a fresh touch of something that he wasn't getting and seeing and he was longing for. He, he, he said this, his exact words, God, if I don't see what was happening in the book of Acts in your church, why? Why, why do I need to be going to church if it's just the same thing? And, and really what it comes down to is he's telling me that. I'm just thinking, that's what it is, you know? It's the idea that he said that day, I'm going to make room for the anointing of God in my life. I'm going to make room for the power and presence of God in my life. And if I'm going to make room, that may mean that there's some things that have to get pushed aside and pushed away. But I am going to make room for more of his presence. Say more of his presence. Say more of his power. Yeah. Don't you want more of his purpose in your life? Yeah. We all do. And that is intrinsically linked to the passion that we have in allowing the Holy Spirit to have his work in us. If, if, if church and our Christian walk is summed up with showing up on Sunday and checking my box and that's it, man, we'll never move in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. There's something more. And as I started telling you the last couple weeks ago, as we were doing the second week of the series, that's something more is the anointing of God. It's the touch of God. It's the presence of God. And, and, and what's wild about this is that's not where this series is supposed to go. This is supposed to be a nice, neat, sweet little series on making room for God's presence and making room for his plan and making room for his prompt, you know, a lot of peas. And man, God just like, 
started messing me up a few weeks ago. Will you let me anoint the people with my touch? Will you let me just stand out of the way, Ross, and let me touch these people, challenge them that there's something more, amen? And so the thing is, too often, instead of making room for more, what happens is we make room for so much less in our lives. So much less makes, becomes prioritized. All those lesser things become the focus of our attention. And I'm with you on that, all right? So what does this have to do with our series, Making Room, all right? Making room, I've been telling you the last two times when we were together, making room for the anointing of God in our lives, in other words, this, I, I'm tired of not living up to the full potential of God's anointing that he desires for my life. Do you believe God has something that he wants to place on you, a mantle, a touch? doesn't just place it on preachers, not, certainly not this preacher, you know. I'm with you on this. He touches all of us. We're his children, and he wants to touch us with a special touch of his presence. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just tired of seeing people too easily satisfied with the level of anointing they walk in. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about anointing. Um, we, if you missed the last time we talked, go listen to the podcast. We spend a little more time with it. But we'll hit it again today just so we're all tracking the same way. So what I'm trying to say is this. That, that this issue of gaining and guarding the anointing of God for my life, it has become personal to me. Okay? This issue of wanting to do what it takes to foster the anointing of God and limiting in my life what it takes to squelch the anointing of God is becoming personal for me. And as your pastor, I'm sorry, uh, I can't help it. It's going to become personal to you. I don't mean that. It's just as a pastor, I can't help but lead us in what the Lord's leading me in. And, and it's becoming very personal. God, I want your, your touch. God, I want your hand to move. I want it to be where if there's a need, and I'm, I don't have a word for that need, the move of your Holy Spirit will come upon me, and I'll have a word for that need. Not for my glory, but for yours, Jesus. And that that person can be touched by the power of God. Amen? If there's a need of healing, that healing would manifest. If there's a need of deliverance, that deliverance would manifest. Amen? If there's a need of comfort, that the sense, the tangible sense of the presence of God, as you and that person begin to minister together, it shows up. Man, that's what I want, God, for my life. That's what I want for our house here. Amen? Like, like Jim, I, I want more of what God has, and I hope you want more also. But again, so often we make room for so much less. And I'm just challenging you today, will you allow God to work in your heart today? To begin to make room for more. More of what he desires. More of his passion. More of his word. More of his call upon your life. More of the purpose he sets your feet to. Because I have purposes I set my feet to. But God, I want more of your purpose in my life. If you would, let's do as we do here at Momentum so often. Let's stand to our feet. I want to read Hebrews chapter 1. And... The reason why is because this is going to show a passage of Scripture where we see that Jesus was separated for more. I've been telling you the last few weeks that God is the God El Shaddai. That means he's the all-sufficient one. He's the God of more. Say more. More than enough. And so it makes sense if he is the El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the God of more than enough, that he wants to be more than enough in our lives. And that his representative in the earth, Jesus... In flesh, God in flesh, who came to dwell among us, when he was here on the earth, he walked in an anointing, a touch on his life. And that same thing as Christ's followers, we can anticipate and walk in. Amen? 
And so that's something of more. That's a touch from God. And here's what it says, okay, because Jesus desires to separate you from more. It says, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, there's authority and there's power in the kingdom of God, and it's intrinsically linked to righteousness. A scepter is a symbol of of authority in a kingdom. And here we see the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, as I live separated unto God for his purpose, I can anticipate and expect a sense of authority on my life that will cause me to live differently and act differently and, and and operate differently, and, and it'll be tangible, and it'll be known, and give God glory and see people touched, you know. goes on and says, why? Because you have loved righteousness, and you've hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, he has anointed you. That anointing has come because of a love to be separated unto God, a love for righteousness, and that foster this anointing that comes. I'm not saying if you could care less about moving in the anointing, you're not saved. Amen? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you. I'm not trying to get the Holy Spirit in you more. I'm trying to get you to allow Him to have more of you. Does that make sense? He doesn't partition Himself. You get Him. He indwells you. But man, to overflow us with His anointing and His touch, that's what I'm talking about. And it goes on, it says, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. There's an anointing on Jesus more than his companions. Isn't that awesome? And the anticipation is that there's going to be an anointing, his anointing on us that sets us apart for his glory. Was the church in the book of Acts set apart? Oh yeah, you can't read the book of Acts without like, like slamming the football down and going, woo, you know. When it comes to spiritual things. I mean, it's a slam the football. It's a dab moment when you read. Everybody dab. Dab. Moment when you read the book of Acts for the spirit-filled believer. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that today, oh, Jesus, by the end of this day, God, that you would give us a dab moment, God. That you would do something in our lives that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you've touched us. And we can walk in the expectation of that touch, God. Lord, touch us, I pray, in your name, Jesus, for your glory. And that lives might be touched and changed by you, Jesus, in and through our lives. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As you're having your seat, Isaiah 10, 27 kind of clarifies a little bit of what this anointing is, all right? And I'll go back to that from our last talk. It says, it shall come to pass in that day that this burden will be taken away from your shoulder, and his yoke, speaking of the yoke of the enemy on our lives, that yoke of bondage upon the earth that the enemy brought, and it says here that that burden will be taken from our shoulders and that yoke from our neck, and then it says, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The yoke will be, say will be. Destruction will happen to the stronghold of the enemy because the anointing of God is at work. I like that. I want destruction to happen in the areas of my life that the enemy is trying to advance in. I want destruction to happen to the areas of my life that the enemy is trying to advance in my church in. Amen? There's marriages under attack in this house right now, and I want the anointing of God on them to destroy the burden and yoke of the enemy that's trying to hold them captive. Amen? I want that over this house. I do. 
And so a definition that we can give to the anointing, and this definition was coined years ago. I can't remember who even did it, but I remember hearing it as a teenager, and I loved it. It took that scripture, and, and the person said this. They said, it's the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. That'll preach. Everybody say that. The burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. I'm going to have you all say it like a bunch of Pentecostals, even if you are a bunch of Baptists. Say, the burden-removing. Yoke-destroying power of God. <laughs> Amen. That, that's the anointing of God. I love it. I love it. And so the anointing of God, it does, it serves to touch every area of our life. Every area of our life. When you have the anointing of God moving in your life, it affects everything. Have you ever spilt oil into carpet? Nobody? Oh, I have. I've spilt everything known to man on everything known to man. I, I am clumsy. And, and when you spill oil into carpet, it gets into every fiber of that carpet. It just, it gets down into the pad. I mean, it's just, it is horrible. And you know what's wild about oil is you can make it look clean, right? But it has a way of wicking back up. I love that. I love that. When the anointing of God gets on your life, man, it's there. And it just starts to permeate everything. And it wicks to the surface in your marriage. And it wicks to the surface in your health. And it wicks to the surface in your finances. And it, I don't know about you. If I was hearing this, I would think, God, that I want to be anointed of you. That I want touched by you, power of God. I want your Holy Spirit to do a work in me. If that's what I can expect. If that's what I can anticipate. Oh, man, it touches finances, decisions that you make, maybe relationships that you have. It'll wick into the area of your health and so on. Uh, think of it this way. If you have two people in a home and they're grating on each other, grating, 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 it's the anointing of God that can smooth out that situation. Before you lay hands on her, lay hands on each other, you know. I'm serious. The anointing of God can come in the midst of that. Think, think about this, it's that old heart of yours. If it's dry and it seems cracked and it's hurting today, it's the anointing of God like oil that's a salve to, to cracked skin that comes and smooths and heals and comforts that hard, cracked, hurting heart. Amen? Amen? You're ashy. It comes. You, you put it on, it makes you shine pretty, you know? It's that oil that... That's the presence of God on us. That's the anointing of God on us, you know. You know what I love more than preaching and feeling his anointing? I'm going to be honest. I love to preach and feel his anointing. But I love doing projects and feeling his anointing. I'm serious. Get my hands on some administrative task and the power of God touches me and I sense it. And next thing you know, it's like every phone call is going more smoother and better than it should. Every email, everything's being expedited. It's like, boom, I'm an administrative genius, you know. And if you know me, I'm not. But it's awesome when the anointing of God touches. I, I heard Rod Parsley say this when I was a teenager. It was hilarious. He, um, he was talking about the anointing of God. And he said that um, um, his secretary, they were under a revival. God had moved um, in their church in a, a powerful, significant way. And, um, um, and he goes in on a Monday at church, and he said his secretary, she's just sitting there in her chair. Woo, Lord, hallelujah. Oh, thank, mm, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. And so he said he walks in, he's like, what's, what is going on? Oh, pastor, it's the anointing. It's the touch of God. I, I just been all, sitting here all morning, just, whoo, lost in it. Just, whoo. Have you ever felt the presence of God like that, though? I mean, I'm being, just like, 
two Sundays ago during worship. I didn't know if I was going to get on the platform. I'm serious. I, I felt so weighted, a good weight, you know. Just, oh, Jesus, you know. Well, she's doing that, and he walks in, and he goes, no, 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 no. God's not anointing you to not work for him. You know, for you to, ooh, God's anointing you to do your job. <laughs> he said, he goes, girl, type like you ain't never typed before. You know, take dictation like you've never taken dictation before. You know, <laughs> send them emails, girls, send them emails. And I always thought it was great, but it's true. He doesn't just anoint you. That oil doesn't just come into your life to have a great church service. And guys, I'm telling you right now, we're about to have a great church service. Amen? God's about to do something in this house. Can I declare that? God's about to do something in this house. That, 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 that's, that's here. Now you got to go be married to who you're married to. And work who you work for. And do the projects you've got to do. And deal with a whole team of crazy kids, coach. You know? All that kind of stuff. And guess what? That oil, it just permeates all that. Touches all that. So yeah, I want touch in the house of God. I want that. Ooh, it's the anointing kind of an experience. But man, I want that to affect my marriage. And my finances. And my decisions. And so the reason why is because that anointing really is what is revealed to us in Scripture that was upon Jesus. It was upon Jesus. And if we want to walk like Jesus, man, it's hard to teach principles without power. To have the pastor say, live this, act this way, do this, work this. You know what I'm saying? Let me give you five principles to this and two principles to that and three principles. I'm worn out. I don't want to hear any more principles. You know, it's hard. I, I, I get that. I, I totally understand that. But if we're supposed to be like Jesus, then I need what Jesus has on him. And he had this touch of God on him. Watch what it says in Acts 10, 38. It talked about Jesus being anointed. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, this idea of God anointing him, I love the way the Amplified Version brings this out. Amplified Version takes the Greek nuances of those words and lays them out there for us to see. Where the English economics can be a little bit limited, the Greek is a little bit more broad. And so we'll put that on the screen, watch. This says this in this way, how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power. Isn't that good? Not just power, but strength. Say strength. Where are you weak at? You need the anointing of God on your life, you know. Ability, where do you lack ability? You need the anointing of God on your life. With power, where are you needing his power and strength? You need that in your life. It says, and he went about doing good and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Why? Why can he go wherever the enemy was oppressing and harassing? I'll tell you why, because that's what the anointing does. It's the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. It destroys the yoke of the oppressor. Amen? But sometimes God's people, myself included, we can get in our minds that, you know what? I have to tolerate this oppression. Who lied to you? You don't have to tolerate anything. You're the child of God. You don't have to tolerate that oppression of the enemy. You don't have to tolerate his lies over your life. Telling you things won't get better. Telling you your marriage is destined to be destitute. Or telling your finances will never recover. No. The same anointing on Jesus is offered to us. God invites us into that to touch us the same way. I love it. 
And so that idea of strength and ability and power, God has a plan for us. Now watch this. This is how that plan kind of works. It says how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth. That word consecrate. Say consecrate. That's a hard one to say. Consecrate. Paul said it this way in Romans 12.1. I exhort you therefore, brothers, through the compassions of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your act of worship. Now, this idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is a New Testament picture of consecration. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something that you would set apart for God to be burned and placed on an altar. You got that? Say set apart. So this, out of your flock, you're pulling the best. And you're saying, God, I consecrate this to you. That's what consecration is. It's setting apart to God for the use of worship. And now we see the New Testament equivalent that says we are living sacrifices. And that that sacrifice to him is an act of our worship. Is that neat? That's the New Testament picture of that Old Testament um, reality, okay? And so here's the thing about that. Set apart, set apart. God's wanting us to set ourselves apart to him. Not, not to go through life going, you know what, I, I, I am a truck driver and a father and a husband and a son. Oh, and I go to church. Check this out. I'm a pastor and a father and a husband and a son and I lead a church. No, no, that's, that's, that's not good enough. Because I can lead, maybe not well, but I can lead without having a heart toward his anointing on my life. People do it all the time, amen? I've been in stages where I've done that, you know? No, no, no. God, I, I want to be mindful to live my life separate to you. Now, here, watch this. When the people offered that thing to God in the Old Testament, it no longer belonged to the one offering it. They gave that to the priest who gave that to God. Now we have no other priest but Jesus. So when we live our lives as sacrifices, we're saying, Jesus, I don't belong to me anymore. I'm yours. Pour in me what you desire. Flow through me as you desire, you know? And so with that, I love it, it belongs to God for his use and for his satisfaction. That, that, that's the Old Testament. And the New Testament reality is being living sacrifices, and it brings the touch of God. And so in the passage of, of, of in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see a story about a man who had been anointed to, by God to be a king, okay, and his name is Saul. And we're going to walk through this real quick, and then we're going to go to prayer, all right? We, if you can tell, we had a shorter worship service because we're going to go to prayer today. And what happened with Saul, a man by the name of Samuel, brought a horn of oil, okay, and that horn of oil, the image of that goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac when Isaac was going to be sacrificed, and the angel of the Lord said, no, there is a ram in the thicket. You remember that? In other words, there's provision for you in the thicket. That ram was caught by its horns. From that moment forward, this idea of these horns were always seen in Scripture as a symbol of God's provision. And then also they would fill them with oil and they would use them as a symbol of consecration to pour out upon people as they're being anointed, which symbolizes the touch of God, all right? Kind of, kind of like I got a little bottle of oil. We, you don't see this here very much, but a little bottle of just olive oil, okay? 
And so Samuel would have poured this in, and poured, I, we, we would just dab it, but he would have poured that oil upon Saul, and Saul would have literally been physically anointed and consecrated for that purpose, but he would also have been spiritually anointed, all right? And as a church, you know, we, we pray at the altars and such, and we don't use the oil very often, but, but it's a symbol of the touch of God, the anointing of God, all right? And so here's what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 1. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. God will always anoint you and place you in a position over. Say over. The anointing caused you to live over. Right? It just does. Here his anointing is to be a king over the people. But your anointing on your life could be a, a victorious person over addiction. You know, something over, over, over your, in control over your finances, etc. Okay. It goes on and it says, now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. All right. So there's this anointing that, that Saul received. In the New Testament we see that there's anointing we can walk in. It's the same anointing that's on Jesus. And so there's four things that we need to watch if we're going to guard the anointing on our life. And we're going to walk through these real quick. And I believe these are going to challenge you. I believe these are going to place in you a spirit to desire to be consecrated to him. And there's things I'm going to say you're going to go, yeah, I'm missing that. That's all right. Because the day is the day of your anointing. Amen? Yeah, I'm struggling with that. That's all right. Because the day is the day that we become living sacrifices. And we say, we belong to you, Jesus. Have your way. Amen? Here's what it says. Number one, you will lose the anointing on your life if you won't put to death what God told you to put to death. All right? You won't put to death what God told you to put to death. God anoints Saul, and one of the first things that is told him to do is to destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Esau, and they had been causing problems with Jacob's seed for centuries. Okay, and so the first rule of, of business here is you need to take care of those Amalekites and their king Agag. You need to take care of them. What it says in the scripture in verse 9, Saul the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But the command of the Lord was to utterly destroy everything, creatures, animals, everything that was linked to the Amalekites, they were to destroy, all right? I'm not going to go through a long history lesson on why, but there was a need for that destruction. But here what you see is that they did not utterly destroy it. In other words, they would not put to death what God told them to put to death. You're going to see over these four things, eventually Saul loses the anointing on his life, and it's passed over to David. And so here's one of the first things. He doesn't put to death what God told him to put to death. Can I ask you guys a question? We'll put it on the screen. Name one thing in life that God has asked you to destroy. What is that? And when you can name that, and you can choose and say, God, it's difficult, but I'm going towards you to step toward that and to leave that behind or to bring destruction to that, guess what that's called? Consecration. That, that's, that's separation. That's that, that's that, God, I want more of you than I want of anything else. God, I'm making room for you and I'm taking away those things that are less that keep edging the things of you out. Amen? The second thing that we see here in verse 9, the same scripture, number 2, you're going to lose that anointing if you don't have a distaste for what God distastes. All right, we just saw that they're not willing to destroy, all right, but now watch why. The next part of that verse, verse 9, all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. 
So they saw in their own eyes what they felt was good, but God had already deemed it needed to die. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of things in our life that we think's fine, we think's good, but God's putting his thumb on it in our lives, and we just continue to go, ah, this is not a big deal. Well, you know what? You can live that way, but you won't walk in the anointing. You can live that way, but it's not a consecrated life that brings the power of God. You'll get to see Jesus someday, but you'll go to see him less victorious, and you'll take less people with you. Come on. You know? And so we see it's kind of a twofold part. You know, we don't put to death what God tells us to put to death. Why? Because we don't have a distaste for what God distastes, what God doesn't like. And he said to utterly destroy, but all that was despised and worthless, that's what they destroyed. They kept the stuff they thought was good. We need to pray through that today. God, is there things in my life that I'm not destroying that God's asking me to destroy? Years ago, this thought popped in my mind. Do you hate sin or do you just hate the wages of sin? That shortcoming in our life, and we all have them, is that something we hate, or we just hate the penalty of that shortcoming? That it causes issues and struggles and strife, but not enough to go, God, I give this to you. Break this from my life. And it may not be something that breaks easily. That's why we're going into the freeway series. What a great, I'm not going to preach to you biblical ought-tos without some practical how-tos, amen? Today's a big, big biblical ought-to. We're going to get touched by God, and then we're going to go and chase into some biblical how-tos over the next seven weeks, all right? But the thing is, do you hate sin? When I was in my 20s, God asked me as a young preacher this, do you live right for me, or do you strive to live right for them? I was praying at the altar all by myself in the sanctuary, just praying back and forth, and I felt like the Lord said, do you live because you love me, or do you live... For me, because you love them, meaning the church. Dude, as a mid-20-year-old, that messed me up. And there's times where I'm going to be honest. God, I, I don't know if I'm doing right for myself and you or if I'm doing, trying to do right for because the, the the, all the people, you know. Help me, Jesus, do it for you, amen. The third thing, you will lose the anointing on your life. Number three, if you walk in partial obedience, covering it up with a good dose of service. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cries to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and he passed on, and he went down to Gilgal. Samuel the prophet has pointed Saul as, as the leader of this nation, and he's messing up at every turn. Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. So here, here's that partial obedience. Okay, Blessed are you, Samuel. I've done the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Remember, he's supposed to kill everything. But look, look, I made an altar to God. And I've done what you told me to do. And Saul says, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to the Lord your God, and the rest we've devoted to destruction. I love it. He doesn't take the responsibility as king. They've done this. They brought the best. Well, no, it was under his direction. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. 
Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of God. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag. The, I've, I go to church every Sunday. Well, I go to church three times. I go to church at least once a month. At least. And I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. We can fill in the blanks however we want. You know, I do this, God. But we know deep inside, God's saying, yeah, yeah, but there's this we want, I want destroyed in your life. This is what I want you to take care of in your life. And Saul is making those steps toward losing his anointing, towards losing the touch of God on his life. And it says, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, the obe to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to the fat of rams. God, God doesn't want all the stuff. He just wants your obedience. He just wants you to serve him. That's it. That's what it's saying. And he missed it. The fourth and final thing. We're going to close with this. You will lose the anointing on your life if you find yourself setting your hand on the man of God. Now, I don't want to say me. Okay, we're going to broaden that here in a second. But in the scripture, right before this anointing is taken from Saul, it says in verse 27 through 28, As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. He literally is angry with the prophet, and he tears his robe. And the Lord has says this through the prophet to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Do you remember earlier I said that the oil of gladness upon you more than your companions? But I thought God was not a respecter of persons. No, no, no. He's, he, he, he completely completely will use those who draw near to him. He's not going to keep you from heaven. But I don't want to go to heaven defeated. I want to go to heaven with power and strength in my life. I need his anointing. Amen. So when it comes down to this, they find themselves setting their hand on the man of God. All right. Uh, let, me, let me broaden that. In our culture, it would be this. We show indifference to the word of God when spoken through his servants. Indifference. You hear a message like this and you just relegate it to, well, that's Ross's opinion. I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to mess you up. Now, please, everything I say, check it in the scripture. Amen? If you're a guest with us today, you don't know me from Adam. I've been serving this body now. We started this church almost 11 years ago. It'll be 11 years in January. And I'm not a super strong authoritarian kind of pastor, am I? Am I? No, do you think? <laughs> but there is times I believe that people will hear something and they'll just say whether it's for me or one of the other pastors or your journey group leader but from a person of spiritual leadership and they'll just say you know what that, that's just, I'm indifferent to that you know, that's, that's their opinion and you're, but it's right we just, we just read this but somehow it's their opinion you know? or number two in that vein refusal to receive godly counsel you're going through stuff. Why well, check with this friend, this friend, this person, this person, my mom and my daddy, and they all say it's fine, so I must be fine. What about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, journey group leader, pastor, spouse that's godly? What about some godly counsel? That friend that cares enough about you to tell you the truth, you know? And then finally, maybe just outright rebellion to God's word. 
the, 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 the word, you're reading it, and you see it, and you know it, but you refuse to live it. And I'm not saying that we all struggle. I'm going to go to heaven imperfect. I plan to go to heaven imperfect. I, but I'm going to have more victory today than I did 10 years ago. Amen? I want the same for you. And so the thing with it is this. Let's stand to our feet. God is always looking for somebody to walk in his anointing. And we see in the scripture that Saul loses that touch from God. All right? But then in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? He tells him, Fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And that king is going to be David. And David wasn't perfect either, right? But David was a man who was after God's heart. And that's the thing. God anointed another in the place of Saul. Why? Because God is always going to have himself some giant killers. Amen? And he's looking at you today saying, there's a Goliath I need destroyed in this world, and I need my anointed leaders to do it. And so you may feel like a young David relegated to the backfield, but God today is saying, I want to anoint you. David had his ups and his downs. He wasn't perfect. But the Bible says he was a man after God's heart. Will we be people today after God's heart? Will we? This is the reason why we need to, because the anointing does make a difference. It was said of Saul, the song they would sing, Saul has killed his thousands. They would sing this song about the victory of King Saul. But when David came along, the victory song changed. And they sang, Saul has killed his, ten th his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Why? Because God's always looking to anoint somebody. So what I want to do today as we close and go into worship, he's still looking to anoint somebody. He's still looking for someone to walk in that anointing. He's still looking for people who are willing to be consecrated to him. To present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and well-pleasing to God. To be set apart for God by putting themselves on that altar daily. A people who will say, my life no longer belongs to me. My life belongs to God. And it's for his use and for his satisfaction. If that's you today, what we want to do and and there will be needs, too, that we're going to pray for. But I'm going to ask um, Amy to come forward. And I know Marvin's here. And uh, I'm going to ask Jim and Nancy to come on forward. Amy, grab a bottle. This week, as I was preparing this, I thought, I want to anoint people with oil. We don't, you don't see us do that very much, you know. And these, we're going to be up, up here. And we're going to worship together. And somebody will come and dismiss us later. But, but let's just focus in on God. Amen. And if you want touched by the presence of God and ask, God, I want that anointing on my life, we're just going to do something physical to rep something, represent something spiritual and supernatural. And we're going to anoint you with oil. We're not going to get crazy with it, right? But we want to touch you with a little bit of oil. Years ago, Amy got crazy prayed for and had oil all over. And we went to Macy's afterwards, and she's at the makeup counter. And the makeup lady says, oh, honey, you sure have some oily complexion, you know. She said, no, no, I just got prayed for at church. Like that was just the normal thing that everybody knows. The lady's like, oh, cool, they got snakes there too? No, she didn't say it. 
So this time, we're going to go into worship. And I, I don't know what God's going to do. Amen? But we're just going to anoint you and pray and ask God's touch upon you. And we'll just dismiss it as we dismiss it. It just will fade out today. Is that okay? As you leave today, we'll just say it now. As you leave today, we love you. We're with you on the journey. Come back next week. Start the series with us. Get a book back there. As you leave today, you can give. There's the guys who are back there with giving stuff. You can give. All right? normally we do. Amy and I will go back in a room and we'll meet guests and stuff. I love that we have guests today. I, I just want Jesus today. Is that okay? So if you're a guest, we'd love to meet you next week. Jesus, I ask right now, God, as we come to you, Jesus, Lord, we ask that you, your presence would be here, that you were, your power and, and, and might would just set upon us and consecrate us unto you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, with great expectation separating our hearts to you. Would you anoint us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's worship and you can become, come, come to the altars. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv